Take your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 11 for our Bible study this morning. I will continue along the theme that we had last night. And what was that? Say it with me again. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. We still believe that this morning? Amen. 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 Well, we're going to deal with this morning with John chapter 11 on facing an impossible situation. And this is an illustration of our theme of the point we're trying to make. We have to be very careful in our presentation when we speak of the word impossible, always putting an emphasis on impossibilities are possible with God. Nothing shall be impossible with God. Now that'll keep us positive instead of negative. Because if you stay on the impossibility or look at yourself long enough after a while, you'll really realize it's impossible for anything to be done. Now if we ever reach a stage or a place in our thinking to where it affects us in a negative way, to where all we can think of is the impossibility of it, rather than the possibility of God performing that impossibility into a possibility, if we get all of those things straight, if, if we can ever do that, then we can stay positive and it'll build faith rather than tear it down. The easiest way to tear faith down is to become negative. And God has to deliver us many times from negative spirits before we can become positive and have faith. So what I'm wanting God to do in, the, in these times that we have just these couple of days is to emphasize this to a degree to where we really believe God is going to operate in the realm of our impossibilities. Remember I told you last night a miracle is the operation of God in the realm of your impossibility. So if you're expecting to find God, today we're going to deal with the point where you can find Him. Where He was found in His operation and where the miracle takes place. And I say again about salvation. Salvation is a miracle. But any operation of God in us is a miracle. Well, I'm realizing I can't do anything without God to start with. What am I going to do without Him? So it's a miracle that I'm walking, living, understanding for our comprehension. I have to give Him glory and honor. But I want to emphasize this little verse again. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Let's begin reading with verse number one. And we'll read along as far as we can go, as far as we've got liberty to. And I'm going to deal with most of this chapter. Now, there was a certain man who was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, you can go ahead and be seated. I'm going to stop right there. And I want to emphasize two or three truths. And I'll tell you when I'm getting to the face of the impossible situation, all right? But first, I'm going to deal with the creation of it. See, God, hallelujah, blesses me just to think about it. God has a way of creating an impossibility in you to show you that he's possible to operate in you. You better thank God every day you live. 
for the creation of your impossibilities. See, there's something in your nature ever since you were a child that said, I can do it. <laughs> I can do it. There's something in that nature that says, you're not going to tell me what to do. <laughs> oh, it comes out toward the parents, first of all, doesn't it? That little one doesn't like to be told what to do. God has to break that nature of yours that says, I can do it. I can help. I can assist. But what he does, he works in you and on you in the creation of impossible situations. Things you can't handle, things you can't deal with. Your sufficiency is gone. Your ability is nil. Everything inside of you comes to an end that says it can't be done, God. You're about to get to the place to where it can be when you realize it can't be. Oh, and I mean in the flesh of your own self. Now what I read to you, the scripture said Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Lazarus was sick. Mary and Martha sent a messenger to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom thou lovest is sick. One thing about the Lord, he loves sick folks. He said, what do you mean? He came not to call the righteous to repentance, but those that are sick. He said, those who are righteous need not. The Lord, but those who are like sinners. He said a man needs a physician when he's sick. But in this passage of scripture, here's the truth. A situation is being created. And they sent a messenger to Jesus and said, Lord, he whom thou lovest is sick. And what they expected was Jesus to come immediately. But the point I want to make is this. Jesus doesn't always do what you expect him to do. Sometimes we have attitudes in our mind, things are going to be a certain way, or he's going to operate a certain way, or he's going to do a certain way, or a certain thing is going to happen, and it may not happen the way you expect it to happen. Jesus doesn't always operate according to your expectation and your anticipation. Somebody say amen on that. Even after you're saved, has he operated the way you thought he was going to? Not likely. If he did, you get the glory. You'd say, boy, look what I did when I prayed for that and God did that because I prayed. No, he's going to operate in his grace to where you can't put your hands on his glory. But here in this passage of scripture, they expected Jesus to come immediately. But as I said, he doesn't always do what you expect him to do. But here's what he did. He said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, they didn't comprehend that. They didn't understand that. But Jesus revealed to them the purpose for the situation and the impossibility they were about to face. But Jesus did do something that was unusual. He stayed two more days still where he was. Now, I'm not going to go ahead and read that, but you can trust me on this, I believe. Stayed two more days still where he was till Lazarus died. Have you ever prayed for things to get better and they got worse? Do you know why that happened? Because when they were better, you didn't need him. 
Or if you needed him, you only needed him according to your concept of him. See, they knew Jesus as a physician, but they didn't know him as a resurrection and the life. And we'll lose that in a minute. So you know what Jesus did? Jesus created a situation to where they didn't need a physician. <laughs> they didn't need a physician. They need the resurrection and the life. Friend, if you're lost, you don't need a physician. You need a resurrector. You need a quickener. You need a life giver. And he'll create a situation in you. Not to where you can call out, but you can say, dear God, I'm dead. And so Lazarus died. Then Jesus turned to the disciples and said, let us go to Bethany. Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. And I go awaken him by the sleep. The disciples said, Lord, if he sleepeth, he does well. And Jesus said, Lazarus is dead. And then one of the most unusual statements, I'm glad I wasn't there to the extent that you might believe. You mean to tell me that Jesus would say, I'm glad I wasn't there and let Mary and Martha suffer and weep and cry over the loss of their brother? Do you mean that he would let Lazarus die? And say, I'm glad I wasn't there. <clears throat> Just what if? Just what if God's allowing you to go through some things that's causing you to hurt and suffer and have agony, but it's not for you, it's for somebody else that you're going through. What if God's put you in situations that in and through you he can magnify his glory? What if he's got you in a situation to where he lets you suffer or he lets you have agony or he lets you go through it, but it's not for you, but it's for somebody else. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 teaches that principle about comfort. But here in this passage of scripture, Lazarus dies. And Jesus says, I'm glad I wasn't there. And here's the reason, to the extent you might believe. In other words, he says, you're going to believe some things that you wouldn't have believed if this had not happened to you. And I say to you today, there you, you're getting to the place to believe some things you never would have believed if this didn't happen to you. He may be shutting you up into himself and shutting you up to a death principle inside of you, to all those things that are alive in you that's not supposed to be alive in you. That death process, when it starts happening inside of us to bring us to a spiritual deadness, a recognition of that deadness, is also many times because we don't want to see ourselves as dead. We want to see ourselves alive and able to help God save us. When he just brings us to the end of ourselves for the operation of God in the realm of our impossibilities. He's creating an impossible situation on Lazarus, on the Jews. He's creating an impossible situation on Mary and Martha. In fact, he's creating an impossibility to where nobody can help Lazarus but one person. Who is that? Jesus. When he begins to shut you down, <laughs> when he begins to close you up, he's bringing you to the end of yourself to where it's impossible for you to help him save you. You understand what I'm saying? Every lost person ever been saved has had that happen to them. And every lost person he deals with, he's got a way and he knows how to set you up with circumstances and people and aid of other people 
you get to the place not a husband can help you, a wife can help you, a friend can help you, anybody else can help you. And, I mean, he gets you to that place. Right now, Mary and Martha are trying to help. The messenger's trying to help. It's like a preacher. We try to help. Praise God, we'll do everything we can to help, to help, to help. But there's going to come a time when you're going to face it yourself. And then there's no preacher going to be able to help you. Preacher can just help you just so far, and that's far as he can go. And so then it's just left up between you and Jesus, and that's what they're headed. That's where they're headed right here. And some of you who are saved, help me this morning now. You've been there. You've been there. And those of you who are not saved, you headed there. I can't say I'm glad to see you go through what you're going through. But I am glad to see what you're going through that sets you up to yourself to where Jesus can help you. Thrills the life out of me knowing that he's operating in the realm of your life and circumstances to produce impossibilities in realms that you thought were possible. And in those impossibilities... They were possible all the time, and you'll see those uh, that a little bit later. But now, Jesus says, Lazarus is dead. I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there, to the extent you might believe. So one of the disciples said, okay, let's go with him and die with him. Said they're going to kill him. They threatened to kill him. Let's just go die with him. And so they, they arrive in Bethany. When they arrive at Bethany, out comes Martha. Lord! If thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. In other words, you were the great physician, and while there was life in him, you could have healed him. Jesus said, Martha, he'll live again. She said, I know he'll live in the resurrection. <laughs> and Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Believest thou this? Mm, hallelujah, folks. Glory this morning. And you, as it ever dawned on you, that Jesus Christ is more than a physician. He is the resurrection and he is the life. He is himself. Martha goes in and calls for Mary. Mary comes out and falls at his feet and says, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. I'm sure her pathos was different. I'm sure the attitude was different because she's laying at his feet. And Jesus sees her weeping and the Jews weeping. And the Jews are saying, could not this man, who was able to raise the dead, to save others or to heal others. Could he not keep this man from dying? And Jesus weeps. But I want to tell you something. There right there is a, is a truth. Jesus wept knowing he was about to resurrect Lazarus. He cares what you're going through. But he knows you've got to go through it. It's a necessity for you to go through it. And he weeps. Because you hurt. If you think you're hurting pleases him, you're sadly mistaken. But it just happens to be a necessity to bring you through godly sorrow into the place of salvation. Man, he weeps. 
then he asked a question. Now here we come. Where have you laid it? <laughs> Where have you laid it? Now, oh, glory to God. If I was able to my back, I think I'd have a running fit about right now. There's <laughs> something here. Oh, my, 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 my. Where have you laid it? In other words, where is that impossibility? Now, he's dead and he's in the grave. Mm. Look at verse 38. Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, coming to the grave. It was a cave and the stone lay upon it. When Jesus arrives in Bethany and arrives at the grave, he is arriving when they are facing an impossible situation. Here it is. I mentioned it a few minutes ago. Lazarus cannot resurrect himself. Mary and Martha can't do it. And the Jews can't do it. If it's going to be done, Jesus is going to have to do it. We heard that. We believe that. We know that. For with God, but now it's impossible for them to do it. But they're facing it. Now they're at that place. What do we need to be done to us that only Jesus can do it? All right, here he is. Remember, Jesus specializes in impossibilities. So you know what they're going to do? They're going to just do one thing. Turn it all over to him. Boy, that's easy to say and hard to do. <laughs> oh, man. Friend, listen to me this morning. When Jesus arrives at this tomb, there's a stone rolled over this grave, and Lazarus has been dead four days. Even Martha, when Jesus had rolled away the stone, said, Lord, he's been dead four days. That's fourth days when corruption sets in. Now, I, somebody says, well, you know, I was going down the third time when I got saved. I, man, I was like a drowning man going down the third time and God saved me. He didn't do any such a thing. You weren't going down. You were face dead in the water. Amen. You see the difference? Hey, you weren't drowning. You had drowned. Dead spiritually. I mean, here they are facing the grave. Here he is, they're facing this too. Lazarus is on the other side. He can't get up. They can't go in. Can't resurrect him. But Jesus comes to the grave. Remember when he came to your house? Remember when he came to your heart? Brother Tom, you remember that, don't you? I remember that day when you got saved. Hey, hallelujah. I remember when he came to my deadness. He came to me where I was. And he came to you where you were. And he's, he knows where you are today. Because he creates a situation. You say, well, preacher, I didn't know I was dead. If you ever realize you're dead, you know something Jesus knew all the time. Oh, I tried to tell you one time, I don't know if you remember or not. Probably last year when you was here. But I like it. Because God told me I was lost. And I thought I was saved. And repentance is thinking like God. Well, after, after I found out I was lost... It didn't, it didn't make news in heaven when I found out I was lost. God knew that all the time. Well, I found out I was lost. I just agreed with God. And knew, he knew that all the time. 
Well, do you know you're dead? You say, well, preacher, if I know I'm dead, I can't do anything about that. God, you use dead all the time. I'm talking about you. You still got your will. You still got your spirit. But I will tell you, the deadness of your spiritual condition needs as much resurrection power as someone who's dead physically. But God wants to do it. He plans to do it. Do you think he set up this situation not to do it? Oh, this morning, if you lost folks ever, and if it ever dawns on you, he's planning to save you. He's got it to save you. He wants to save you, and he's going to save you if you go along with him. Oh, man, here he is. And they're facing an impossible situation. But here was a point I was about to make at the beginning of this thing. Where is the miracle going to take Where is this miracle? See, the creation of circumstances are now here, but at the place of death, at the grave, is where the miracle takes place. In other words, at the end of yourself. Do you know what the trouble is with most of us when we're trying to get saved? We're still too alive. Years ago, I heard the phrase, at the end of yourself. I didn't particularly like that phrase. Another person used it. That's right. They don't believe it. I didn't particularly like it. End of yourself. You mean old self's got to die? In other words, got to die to the efforts and all the wisdom you've got and all the knowledge you think you've accumulated and, and all this is going to really get you at a spiritual plateau or a spiritual condition to where you can get saved? Now, certain things you've got to know, I realize that. Certain things you've got to understand. But friend, what you need to realize is all your knowledge is not going to bring about the salvation. It's the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that brings the salvation. Oh, but listen to me. At the end of yourself, you're still trying. Oh, well, I would like to wore myself out. Getting, Lord, I want you to save me. Now wait to see if it's going to happen. Too much alive. Oh, I want it a certain way. I got to have it a certain way. Sometimes we have to go through months. Is that fellow back under up there? And I remember him. He went through eight months. I had going to have it his way. God wasn't going to do it his way. Not until he got to the end of himself could God do it his way. Hey, we think we've got it all planned out. How it's going to be? I thought when I, if I found out I was lost, I'd do a certain thing and, and I'd say a certain word and I'd get saved. So when I found I was lost, I said those words. In fact, this crowd who says the Roman road will get the job done, it may get it done for them, but it didn't get it done for me because I tried it. I tried the Roman road and I tried every road I could find and I couldn't find it. You know what my problem was? I wasn't agreeing with God about my deadness. I hadn't come to the end of myself. I haven't given up and given over and recognized it was impossible. But hallelujah, that morning, that Wednesday morning, about 1130, when I finally just quit and lay in that floor, that was a point of death. That was a point. That was my cave. That was my grave. That was the end of self. And right there when the Lord put thank you in my mind, I said, thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving my soul. Hey, he met me at the point of the end of myself. When I finally quit. Is that preacher? I don't make a bit of sense. I know it doesn't make sense. That's the reason it's impossibility. And that's the reason it's a miracle. It doesn't have to make sense. But after you get saved, it really does make sense. 
Because it's God who does that. But you know, I want to tell you something else. You say, folks, here today. That's the way God operates in your life after you say it. Did you know he's not interested in what you can do for him? If, I don't get, if, if this crowd doesn't get anything else today, get this. Anybody sleeping here? I'll make sure you don't miss this. Becky punch him if he gets on the sleep. I know he won't. But if you don't get anything else, get this. Jesus is not interested in what you can do for him. He's interested in what he can do through you. The flesh doesn't like the thought self is crucified with Christ. The world is crucified with Christ and us into the world. You know, I was really surprised one day when I was studying the scriptures and I'd heard the word surrender so much and I'd used the word surrender until it, it was just a beautiful word. And then I got to looking for it in scripture. And blew me away when I found the word surrender was not in the Bible. And I had a good sermon on surrender. And the, and, and, and the song, get I surrender all. Boy, that had a pretty sounding song. I had a pretty sounding song. I surrender all. And the word rededicate. Boy, that's a beautiful word. I mean, you hear that some preachers say, talk about rededicate your life. Sounded so good. And I got to looking for that, and I couldn't find rededicate. But you know the word I did find? Crucifixion. Or crucified. Hmm. Crucified. Now what is the difference? Surrender. Well, have you ever seen... Was it you talking about the old movies last night? Who was talking about that old, old Western movie? You said something about that Western movie. Have you ever seen one of those old Western movies where they had that, the, the stagecoach and the ambush? And uh, boy, just as soon as that stagecoach would ride into that, that pass and those robbers would come down on them, what's the first thing they'd do? Why would they do that? To keep from dying. They didn't surrender to die. They surrendered to say, don't kill me. <laughs> don't kill me, don't kill me now. I surrender all. You have my money, you have everything that's on the stage. I just don't take me. Don't take my life. I surrender. Put me in prison, put me anywhere. Just don't take my life. And that's the way we are with God. I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender all. He doesn't want all you got. He's already got that. He wants you. And he's not trying to get you to surrender and give up this and give up that. Well, preacher, I'll give him everything I've got. I'll give him all my money. He don't want your money. He's already got that. He said, well, I'll give him my car. Hey, you die and leave that. Well, I'll give him my house. He'll want your house. You die, you leave that. What's he want? He don't want you to get up. He wants you to see yourself as dead. Now, I'll tell you something else. You can't crucify yourself. Man, you might could take a nail and put it through your two feet. And you might put yourself on the cross with one hand and nail it. But what are you going to do with this one? You see what I'm talking about? Well, that's how some of us are. 
Well, I've crucified myself here, and I've given up this, and I've given up this, and I've given up that. In fact, I've given up some of my pet things, and I've nailed this to it here. Now, Lord, save me. I want you to save me, Lord. I'm on the cross. You see, Lord, I, here I am doing myself. I'm crucifying myself now, and I'm giving up this, and, and I'm putting down pleasures, and I'm putting down my attitude. In fact, I won't rejoice over anything. I'm going to be miserable now till you save me, and I'm, I, I'm suffering, and oh, I'm feeling bad, and I'm going to get it to altar, See how bad I can feel. And if I can feel bad enough, I, I, oh, that hurts. Boy, giving this up is hurt about to kill me. It's about to kill me. Oh, God, don't let me die. And I'm not trying to be facetious or mean. I've, I experienced that. Some of you experienced it too, whether you realized it or not. Some of us went through a process of self-crucifixion. But we are crucified with Christ. Through faith in Him and what He did on Calvary will cause a spirit of crucifixion in you and a spirit of death to where Jesus can do something for you. Alright, now listen. Now they're facing the impossible situation. Jesus is here. Impossibilities are possible when the Lord of impossibilities is present and in control. Can I say that again? Listen carefully. Impossibilities are possible when the Lord of impossibilities is present and in control. He can be present and not in control. You remember when they were out in the ship and Jesus was asleep on a pillar? Remember that? And there came a storm and they tried the best they could to make it to the other shore. But when self-effort ceased and they couldn't go any further, they went and awakened the master and said, Master, care sir, not that we perish. Now right there, Jesus stepped up on deck. When he stepped up in front of that boat, they turned the ship over to Jesus, the sea over to Jesus, themselves over to Jesus, they faced an impossible situation. And they put everything in his control. The church at Laodicea had Jesus present outside the door, but he wasn't in control. Friend, impossibilities are possible when the Lord of impossibilities is present and in control. Number two, Listen, impossibilities are possible when possibilities are performed. Now, can I say that one more time? <coughs> impossibilities are possible when possibilities are performed. What was the possibility? Jesus said, roll away the stone. Remember the man with the withered hand in the scripture? Jesus could have healed that man without telling him, stretch forth your hand. The man couldn't heal himself, but he could stretch forth his hand. So he stretched it forth. That was the possibility. And Jesus performed the impossibility. Here, he says, roll away the stone. That was the possibility. 
But those who had rolled the stone over the tomb had to remove it for Jesus to operate. Some of you heard my sermon right there called Stone Rolls. I'd like to preach that to you, but then I'm not talking on salvation. I'll just mention the very fact that it, what the Holy Ghost Revival is, Holy Ghost Revival is the saints of God rolling away what's between them and lost folks that's becoming a hindrance and keeping Jesus from operating on lost people. In other words, we need an old-fashioned revival of stone rolling. Uh-huh. Thank God for stone rollers who roll away things, hindrance. But here, Jesus says, roll away the stone. But when they perform the possibility, Jesus is going to perform the impossibility. So they roll away the stone, and Jesus is standing now with a direct line toward Lazarus. Hmm. Lazarus! Now, it's been said, I've said it, and other preachers have said it. The reason he called him by name is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. If he had not called him by name, the whole graveyard would have gotten up. Amen? You say, preacher, you mean he knows me by my name? That's what I've been trying to tell you. He knows you. He knows where you are. He knows what you're in. He knows what you think. He knows how you feel. And He's creating an impossibility so He can call you by your name. Charles! Lazarus? What? Come forth. I've tried to live that, I tell you. I got to thinking one day. You know, he had that napkin over his face. And once he called him by name, life came. And I can see him laying on that slab, and he is bound from hand to foot. And he's laying there with that napkin over his face. And when he calls him by name, life comes in. And I can see that napkin going. You say, how was that done? Not even Lazarus knew. And I tell you, there's always a mysterious element about everybody's salvation experience that God saves that you can't explain. Back to say, how did that happen? How in the world did that happen? Well, I knew I was lost, and I knew, I, I just knew, but the, this is the way you feel. You, have you ever felt this way you say, folks? I won't tell you how I got saved. Boy, I tell you, I said, thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving my soul, and man, what happened? Boy, that's good. It's over. It's done. It's done. I started to do it, and before I could do it, it's done. I don't know. You understand what I'm saying? Hey. 
There's a mysterious, marvelous, miraculous, stupendous, heavenly, supernatural, divine quickening of God that you can't put your hands on and you can't explain to anybody sufficient for their understanding. You can explain how you got up there to it. And you can explain some things after it's over. But what happened inside the tomb wasn't anybody else's business but yours and God. And I got news for you, it was his, not yours. <laughs> you don't even know what words to put it in. I've seen people say when they stepped out into the aisle, headed to the altar. I've seen some say walking down the aisle. I've seen some crawling on the floor. I've seen some before they could get the words out of their mouth. Their heart had already exercised faith and it was over with and they were stunned. And when I preach, I don't understand all of that. You don't know if, you, if you're lost, but what I want you to see is God's working in impossible situations so he can make it a possibility. So what happens? Lazarus comes out bound hands and feet with grave clothes. Wouldn't you love to see that? I'd love to see him go down. Because he's still bound hand and feet. The question is, how'd he get out? I believe he glided. So, preacher, I don't believe that. That's all right. You, you weren't there and I wasn't either, so I don't believe he did. I believe he, got, I believe he just glided down. But that's not the point. The point was, how'd he got out? He said, loose him and let him go. Which means every person he pulls out of the grave, he gives liberty and freedom to operate for his glory. Hmm. One more truth. I've told you impossibilities are possible when the Lord of impossibilities is present in control. I've told you that impossibilities are possible when possibilities are performed. The third, impossibilities are nothing more than possibilities in disguise. You know what disguise is? A disguise is making yourself look other than what you are. like a false face. And once in a while you'll see a false face of a werewolf or a Frankenstein or something of that nature and it's made to appear a certain way but if you take the false face off then it looks another way. Well you know this impossibility was a possibility all the time but it was an impossibility looking that way to man because that's exactly what it was. But when God looked at the same thing, it was a possibility just dressed up to look that way so he could save you. Have you ever reached a place where you think, well, he's just not going to save me. He's just, he just not going to do it. He, he just not going to do it. Listen, friends. Brother... And sister, if he didn't have it in mind, he didn't want to, and he didn't intend to, why even bother? But he loves you, and he loves the world, and he loves sinners. That's right. And he wants you to go along with him. He knows how long, and he knows what, to create the proper attitude for him to quicken you. Now listen to me, I'm through. 
In the book of John, the scripture says, many committed themselves to him, but he didn't commit himself unto them because he knew what was in them. The Lord can save anybody if the proper attitude is in them at the point of believing. But he knows what's in us and what's not in us, and he knows whether we're at the end of ourselves or not at the end of ourselves, and he only saves the individual who trusts him by faith. Because just faith as a grain of mustard seed can move mountains, and it's possible to him that believeth. But he knows what's in us and what's not in us, but just because a person comes to the altar and doesn't get saved doesn't mean he's not going to. It just means that God looks at him and the proper attitude is not there yet. He's not at the end of himself. You know, I've seen some who come at the altar and say, Well, Lord, I'm at the end of myself. I've gone as far as I can go. And then they wait for God to save them. No, they ain't gone as far as they can go because they're not dead yet. They don't see themselves as dead, what I'm saying. They don't see themselves incapable of handling it, incapable of doing it themselves. It's an impossibility. But I tell you this, when you finally throw yourself on the mercy of God and finally yield yourself to Him and believe upon Him to save you, inside of your heart will come a divine quickening of God. And you'll say, man, that was possible all the time. I just didn't know that. Why? One more time. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Well, let me just say this. I'm be careful. Be careful when you're judging what another person is going through. Don't set yourself up as a judge and jury of another person's life. I beg you. Sometimes you don't know what's in that individual. You don't know what that person has gone through or is going through. And neither do you know the internal hang-ups that individual has. Don't judge them by yourself. Don't judge them according to what you went through. Keep your hands and your tongue off of what another person is going through if that person is conscientiously endeavoring to find the Lord. Do not, I say again, become his judge and his jury. I don't care if that person has made a profession of faith and everything looked good for a while, but then one day he finds out he or she is lost and stands and says, I'm lost. Don't you put your hands on that. You don't know the condition of that individual. You might have said, but I thought they were already saved. It's not a matter of what you thought. It's what God thought. And what they're going to have to die with. All I want for people is to have something that they can die with. I want something and I have something, thank God, that I can not only live with, but when it comes my time to die, I can die with it. That's That's what I want for you lost folks. I want you to have something when when death has come your way and the breath has left your body, that you've got something you can die with. Even though we put much emphasis on the impossibility, 
We only do it because it's a disguise to you to let you know that it's a possibility with God and God wants to save you and intends to save you and you need to give Him glory for that. And those of us who are saved need to be very aware that every individual is important to God and He knows what each one of you is going through and He knows where you are. And just because you come to the altar, He doesn't save you. And that's not very popular today. We won't get to preach in some churches because of that belief. You're supposed to be able with these believism a few words that I don't care who it is, say the few words and you're saved. But I say this, I don't care if you have to come to the altar a thousand times. If you get to the thousand and one, hallelujah. As long as in your heart you know that you know that you know that you're saved. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let's let's sing a song, John. Come on. Yeah.